GM GM friends, you are now listening to the DJ Aussie Apes, bringing you another weekly session on all things crypto and NFTs. Let's go. It's the money. GM GM guys, what's happening? Sam Stratton in the house. Sam Stratton, John Sidorides. How are we guys? How are you going? Yeah, really good. <laughs> good. It's hot today, isn't it? Man, the last few days for everyone listening, you know, we do have a lot of uh, listeners in Sydney, Australia, but we also have a lot of listeners worldwide. I mean, the weather's been terrible down here in Oz. I mean, just the heat, the humidity, the rain. I don't know if you guys copped any of the hail the other night that sort of shot through. Yeah, so I live on a fifth floor apartment. We managed to flood our balcony. I've got well, no idea how that happened, but we just, had an inch of water on the balcony. It's crazy. Yeah, the weather's been shocking. The marks have been shocking, but people have been building. And Sam, you've been busy at that, my friend, with your project at the moment. And yeah, would love to uh, spend a bit of time chatting to you and enlightening our audiences to what you've been doing at the moment. In terms of building, I've been working on my own project for a while, self-funded, no token, no NFTs, nothing like that. Essentially a 3D education platform. If someone was to say, you need to give me this statement, it's a, it's a one sentence statement. What do you do? It's like a Udemy in the metaverse. Heavily stylized, three-dimensional, kind of looks like if Fortnite built a university, that's what you'd be looking at. So that's what I'm working on at the moment. And it's got some gamification to it. There's no learn to earn or no token that's being issued or anything like that. It will have some very basic Web3 component bolted onto the back end, but that's for, more for record keeping and student records, those sorts of things. It's essentially just for people like myself who have ADHD. Uh, diagnosed for myself, but my son has ADHD, just a different way of learning. Instead of remote learning and PDFs or in-campus learning, it's just creating something that's maybe a little bit more entertaining, a little bit more visually appealing. And hopefully, all things going well, it'll be launched in about a year's time. Super cool. Love it. What's it like building without a token? Because I think a lot of people want to speculate and make money and kind of invest in you. Like the DGENs, we're all DGENs here. Some of us get turned off when we hear no token or no NFT. We're like, well, I don't really care because I can't make money off it. So how have you found that journey? For me as a builder, it's the most stress-free experience I could ever have in Web3. I don't wake up in the morning and worry that someone has dumped a whole bunch of tokens. I don't feel as though I have to go back to anyone in the community and update them or make sure that they're happy or anything like that. I do have a Discord, but it's really those people have moved over from things that have happened in the past. They've moved over to follow this journey just to see how the, the product is. You're right, though. As soon as it's not tokenized, you lose probably 90% of your current audience because there are so many speculators and people that are looking to just flip tokens. So it's, it's a really cool thing to sit there and, and maybe be a part of a token and then leave a token, then go and do your own thing and self-fund it and see how many people actually follow you on that journey. It's such a small percentage of people, it really is. Yeah, completely agree. But just speaking on kind of the tokens and things that have happened in the past, I guess one thing we'd love to cover in this episode is your experience with Lundex. And, you know, I think this is definitely really interesting, really unique, uh, and you're kind of at the forefront of like reporting on this. So... Did you want to walk us through the whole Lundex journey from start to finish for our audience? Because I'd never heard of Lundex until some of the stuff you've put out about it. So Probably one of the slowest rug pulls you've, you've seen. Funnily enough, I've actually banned the word lit, uh, Lundex from my Discord. So this is the first time this has been mentioned this year. Actually, John, so thank you for bringing up old wounds. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, basically uh, Lundex started life as a, as a meme coin. It was called Baby London. And that was around August 2021. Basically, it was launched by these three guys to celebrate the London hard fork. Which uh, was a hard fork on Ethereum, which allowed for 
the beacon chain to be launched. Is that right? Yeah. And so what happened there was they launched it and the the London aspect of it was it was giving Ethereum rewards. Mm -hmm. Had fairly high, I wouldn't guess if maybe, but not really for BSC at the time. BSC had like close to 20% tax in and out. So this is Binance Smart Chain. So you had basically, I think you mentioned 34%. So it was like a 17% buy tax. 15% 15% sell tax or something exorbitant, right? It was it was about 15 on 15 in and 17 out. Wow. And there were a whole bunch of different accounts. There was, as you'd expect, there's a marketing wallet, but there was marketing, LP, developer, and then a growth fund. Mm-hmm. So there were all these wallets that were getting shot all this different money. And at the time, I wasn't really that up to speed with BSC. And as I said, there were a lot of tokens that had high taxes. But anyway, aped into this on the back of, you know, playing around with a lot of baby tokens. They were the hype in around June, July, August 2021. And bought a bag in that, sold it, broke even, then went, oh, look, I'll go back in later on. And I did that. They actually migrated over. They rebranded, migrated as, rebranded to Lundex, migrated to a new contract. And they said, oh, well, we're now changing the utility. This is going to be a proper utility token. We're now building an AI and a DEX on BSC. And the AI is going to keep all these wallet holders safe. We're going to stop the scammers. Ironic in hindsight. So they launched that. That went on for about two to three months. I was a top holder at that time. I was probably buying, you know, I was buying a lot. I was coming out of other projects, taking profits, and then putting some more into this. Because at the time, as an outsider, I'm like, yeah, I like what these guys are saying. So I ended up becoming a top wallet holder. They did start saying to people in the community, oh, we've got an agreement with the top wallet holders and they all agree the top 100 or top 75 or something like that have all agreed to lock their wallets. And I thought, well, maybe I just wasn't part of that conversation because, you know, I was never on the Telegram 24-7 like a lot of DGENs are. Sorry, I'm not a true DGEN like you, John. Mm. Um, (laughs) But so I thought, okay, cool. Well, I'm thinking long term, so it doesn't matter at this stage anyway. And they said to me, if you ever wanted to sell something, sure, let us know and then we'll send your tokens to another wallet and all that sort of stuff. So then we moved to a a V3 contract because they wanted to add referrals and those sorts of things. Uh, And that was probably in around, I'll get my dates wrong here. I think V2 was around October 2021. And then V3 was probably early in the new year, 2022, Mm -hmm. uh, I think but I could be wrong on this sort of stuff. And this referral system, did that set off any alarm bells for you? Was it kind of like refer a friend who buys tokens and they, you get some of their money? Was it something like that? So much of the space is Ponzi that I'm like, you you become desensitized to it. It's like, oh, you're just bringing more money in. Sure. Okay, cool. Bring a friend in, pump your own bags, that sort of stuff. Mm. I'm very skeptical on a lot of things that happen these days. So Mm. Um, yeah, there was a bit of that, but also I think I suffered from, I don't know if there's a crypto version of Stockholm syndrome Mm. and maybe there is like we they say never fall in love with a token, but sometimes you just do. Yeah. And you have, you know, you start to, especially when the the developers are docs, you start to like these people mm. and your own personal emotions get in the way of what's really happening. And looking at things objectively. Yeah, yeah. So in February, one thing happened. I remember waking up in the morning and doing my usual thing. So I do sound like more of a DJ and I woke up at five o'clock and the first thing I did was check my portfolio. As you did during the bull market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So what happened was I woke up and I saw that like Lundex was down 30%. Mm. Immediately went to the chart and saw that was just one big red candle. It was 108 grand sell. And I thought, that's weird because all these wallets are locked. Mm. And it turned out it was the deployer wallet that had actually sold 108 grand of tokens. So at this point, you could I love the look on your sell. face right now, by the way. They're, just, <laughs> <laughs> they're scum. So at this point, you couldn't have sold your tokens. Did you try to sell or did you just take their assumption that the top wallets couldn't sell? So I was part of the community team at the time. So we all got in the chat and said, "What? what's going on here? Like, 
how was someone able to sell? Because mm. the top, they call it a top wallet protocol, which was just blacklisting top wallets, shouldn't have allowed that. And then someone said, it's the deployer. How would that have happened? And look, there was a lot of back and forth in voice chat and those sorts of things. And then the story that came out at that point was uh, Hussein, who's one of the three founders, was going to a meeting for an over-the-counter transaction and he's been held up. And the guys have stolen access to his laptop, stolen his keys, those sorts of things, and tried to sell tokens. So being a member of the community team, we're like, well, that sucks. As long as he's okay, then we're, we're, we're okay. Like, that's the most important thing. We've all lost a lot of money, but that's fine. Long term, where we're going, 108 grand off the chart, doesn't matter. The market cap at the time, do you remember? At the time, probably around 24 million, something yeah, like okay. that. Yeah, around there. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot of money, right? Decent, Someone walked yeah. away with 108 grand. For a meme, yeah, it's great. Yeah. So we, at, at the time, we just said, well, steady the community onwards and upwards. You know, we've got bigger things coming along. And then what happened over the next week or so, actually later that day, I know it's a bit all over the place, but yeah, later this that day. This is so intriguing. I just. <laughs> I, I, I came up with another timeline of events that what happened with the deployer, because as we go in through things later on, we'll actually backtrack to that. So anyway, what happened was Tim, who was one of the other founders, he's based in Victoria. He said, let's, um, let's tighten this up. We need to obviously secure all this stuff and lock it down and make sure that we're in complete control because someone's obviously exploited our contract. So they did that. They said, what we're going to do is we're going to pause trade. We're not going to tell the community we're going to do it. And then we're going to announce to the community that we've done it. We we're like, okay, sure. That's, if that's what you guys want to do. See, how decentralized are these currencies if you can pause the contract and stop trading? They're just not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, simple as that. Unless they renounce contracts, they're, they're not. Yeah, There's always yeah. someone holding the keys, right? And we, we've learned that the hard way, you know? I'm telling you, things like this, the first thing with the sale, then locking contracts, locking wallets, the memes dying already, you know, they're not bullish factors, but it was a big run, the last run, <laughs> so we, all, we, all, we were all in it, but sorry, continue. Yeah, so. sorry. No, you're right. Um, so where we went from there was, okay, they said, we're, we're going from building this decentralized exchange with this Guardian AI. We're actually going to go and go multi-chain now and we're going to build this DEX that's multi-chain. So basically drop down box and it will work on every chain. No one had really done anything like that at the time and they hadn't delivered on the first promise, but they promised something even bigger than that. So the roadmap went from zero to about 12 without filling in steps one to 11. So with, without, and it's weird because when your money's locked up, there's not much you can say about it. As you guys would know, if you sit there and start pushing back when your money is locked up with these guys, you can say goodbye to your money forever. Mm. Mm. So it was a case of keep the community happy. But internally, I was asking a lot of questions. And my partner, Ange, was saying to me, because we were over in um, Canada for a part of this when this was happening, when the deployer hack happened. She's like, do you trust these guys? I'm like, yeah, I do. I do. And that's because you had spoken to them and gotten to know them in their kind of chats and stuff? Yeah, like Tim and I were doing a weekly YouTube show called Mother Suckers and we're, every week we were on video together and he was telling me, yeah, mate, the guys are working really hard and, you know, they're progressing and they're spending all this money on development. I'm like, okay, cool, no worries. Like, I don't, I don't want to see lines of code. It's pointless to me. Mm. There's no value in lines of code. Um, Plus the team was doxxed as well? Sort of. Semi? Two of the three were doxxed. Okay. Yeah. So in memes, that's already, you know, a certain that's level of a tick. So yeah. there's no reason to speak, to think otherwise. Yeah. So probably around April or May, they then came back and said, look, what we're going to do now is we're going to forget about this multi-chain thing. We're going to launch our own chain. And at this point, I was like, nah, this is this has gone too far now. Like you, you have too ambitious. Yeah, you Cards haven't put the first the step in, and and now you're talking about building your own chain. And these were guys that I knew were not developers. Hussein was fr uh, from the recruitment field. Uh, Rick was an engineer. 
apparently that was what he was saying. He had an engineering background, but it also worked in trade and those sorts of things. And Tim was working in IT infrastructure. So not the, so Tim, you'd think, okay, maybe he would know how to start a chain and those sorts of things. But a lot of it was just blind faith at the time. Mm. So around that time, I actually became the marketing manager and said, well, look, if you're launching a new chain, you're going to need a few different products that are going to sit on this chain. I said, I'm happy to come up with some names and some concepts and give you some basic flowcharts and say, look, this is how I think we should sort of build this product for bringing new people into Web3. What are some of the barriers and challenges? So we came up with different things like um, liquidity insurance, for example, on a DeFi protocol. There were some ideas with that. A new kind of NFT marketplace, which operated more like Fiverr. So it wasn't about just buying on the secondary. It was about having a marketplace, a decentralized marketplace where content creators could sell their content without the high fees of something like Fiverr and get immediate payment without Fiverr taking it and obviously holding onto it for a few different weeks. So I came up with those sorts of ideas. At the time, I also came up with, um, they had a crypto university, which they were going to do, but that was going to be a learn to earn. So go through some PDFs, complete it, get some tokens. We know what happens then. People dump the token. You've just got sell pressure the whole time. Yeah. So I came up with the idea of the digital digital university at that point, which was going to be called Verse 3. And we came up with a, I worked with a developer on Twinmotion and we came up with a concept trailer and started building a white paper and some details of that. This was around May. This was all happening. And did you feel obligated to help out with the project to kind of pump your own bags? Like you didn't want it to be a scam and you wanted to add substance. So you felt a little desperate to kind of just contribute and add value? Yes, 100%. I think from my own point of view, what I was thinking was, if I continue to come up with some ideas and concepts that these guys can build on, I'm somewhat securing my investment Mm -hmm. and and keeping the lines of dialogue open. So if I know that these guys have challenges or issues or something's going on, at least I'm going to be a part of the team. I'm going to know about this stuff, as I thought. So fast forward to about October, and it had been, that was even later than that, probably November. I, and I hadn't had a discussion with Rick because I hadn't heard anything about developments of this new chain or any of the products or any of those sorts of things. I'm thinking these guys have got no money coming in anymore because there's no token trading, so I don't know how they're funding this. And then that was when Rick, uh, aka Duke, he actually said to me, look, the guys are really struggling at the moment. They're a bit disengaged. Uh, and, I, and I said, well, maybe the best thing is for you and I to take over this because he, were the, he and I were the only ones that were actually talking. So I said, look, let's come up with maybe you and I should take over the project and get this back on the back on the rails, so to speak. Uh, and at the time I floated the idea, I said, look, how do we feel about, because this is here in Sydney, we had Australia, we had Medibank and Optus happen within a couple of weeks of each other. So I said, why don't we just focus on building one product and start researching digital ID and how we can sort of build that sort of product? Because right now in Australia, it's a big talking point. And he said, all right, cool, let's see how we go. And I came up with a name and some basic concepts for it. He went back to the other guys and said, actually, they want to they continue with verse three because verse three in theory was the thing that was furthest along. In reality, verse three was a white paper and a trailer, things that I'd made back in April or May. And they wanted to, they said, that's the thing that we want to build. And I said, well, what about all the other stuff? Oh, none of that works. So, so they've abandoned the one chain decks, they've abandoned the multi-chain decks and they've abandoned launching their own chain yep. at this point. Yep, at this point. And after nearly, well, over 12 months of trading, the one thing they wanted to continue with was a trailer that I had helped make in April. For me, that was like ultimate red flag. I know where this has gone. This was vaporware the whole time and guys have just been taking hundreds of thousands of dollars from marketing wallet. Which So at that point, I said, sure, Verse 3 was something that was like really near and dear to me because it came from my head and I edited the trailer and all those sorts of things. So I said, yeah, cool, this is this is what I want to do. 
So great, give me control of this and we'll push forward. And control of it was basically me owning the Twitter account and being in control of messaging and, and those sorts of things. At that point in time, I still didn't have any access to any of the wallets. I was told there was about $10,000 left in a wallet and that was all the funds that was left after hundreds of thousands of dollars. So I said, okay, cool. So there's ten or $12,000, cool. I can make that work. I can bootstrap this. I said, right, we need to launch a new website. We need to create some digital passes, NFTs, but they're going to be purely access and they're going to be a free mint. So let me go ahead and do those. And we spent you know, $700 on a website. I sent a receipt. They sent me the payment. Same with the NFTs. Design the NFTs, sent a receipt, got the payment. So I thought, okay, cool. Well, I'm not really in charge of this project. I'm sort of an employee, but at least I have control over some elements of it at this stage. And I said to Rick in some conversations, I said, look, before we go any further, because he wanted me to become a director of this new company, I said, well, before we go any further, let's air our grievances here. And some of my concerns were these products that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars that you said you've spent money on, I don't have any record of those. So can I see some invoices? Can I see some of the products? Can I see some record of payments? And he said, yep, fair enough. Went back to the other guys and they said, oh, look, no, Sam's not getting that stuff. Does he not trust us? He needs to, you know. But they want you to sign on as a director. But they wanted me to be a director of the company. Unbelievable. They wanted to get yeah. you in on the dirty laundry, didn't they? Well, someone has well, to take the fall. they actually didn't. They wanted a fall guy. Yeah. From yeah. What All I of a sudden he's the director, you've signed over and guys, you know, please listen to this story, take lessons from it because it is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, so... They, they wanted me to be a director and I said, we need to sort out all these other issues first before I decide to become a director of the company. And he said, okay, cool, no, that's fair enough. And went backwards and forwards and apparently they were getting more and more agitated with every time I asked. And there's screenshots of messages and those sorts of things that are up on Twitter and all that sort of stuff. And eventually it got to a point where I said, no, nah, there's something going on here. And finally, after months and months of like, questions and doubt and those sorts of things I said all right I'm going to go way back I'm going to go start looking at this as though I was blow blowing the whistle on the project so I went back and looked at all the messages between us I went back and looked at all the on-train transactions and basically out of the project which you guys have got that pdf there that pdf was created to show that all these different wallets were receiving all these funds expenses that they said were happening uh, there's no record of those uh, liquidity being pulled the one thing that i haven't completely missed it because there's so many different things here do you guys remember what happened on may 11th 2021 or 2022 2022 terra luna it was. Yeah, John. there you go. Oh, yeah. I know because I, know oh, I yeah, lost money on that. So <laughs> That's one thing I wasn't in. So on, on May 11th, and we actually have video of this as well, which is even crazier. It was about the 9th that I think UST started its, its death spiral, the, the DPEG. Mm. And around the same time, someone mentioned in the community that some of the liquidity that was held on chain had been moved from the liquidity wallet. And it had been moved somewhere else. Is that the 330? 330 BNB. Yeah. Yep. So effectively what had happened was I went back and looked at this and then another member of the team sent me screenshots and said they pulled the liquidity and they went and traded it on KuCoin to buy Luna. So Luna was in its death spiral. <laughs> so I think they bought it something around $7. I mean, earlier that year, Luna was sitting at 220 mm. or something like that. So they bought it $14, $7, and they were chasing it down. You can see these large amounts going in. You're just catching a falling knife, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. I wonder if that was their last kind of attempt. Like they knew the project was failing and they thought, you know what, maybe we can just quickly make a, a quick kind of snipe here at $7 and sell it for 14 and cool, now we've got money for ourselves because it doesn't sound like they were too keen on giving back to the community. Yeah, I think at they that point... They wanted their lotto ticket. Mm. Yeah, I think at that point they were probably thinking that they could, you know catch this on the way back up mm. like a throw 100 bit of grand desperation 
Yeah, get a few million dollars and, you know, split some of that and then just put the liquidity back in and it's all good. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I still don't know to this day because you can leverage trade on Qcoin. I don't know whether they actually shorted it. If they shorted it, they made millions. I'd actually be able to tell you uh, if I look at the transaction because you can look in the input data and see whether it was a long or a short. So I'll take a look at it after. I think think some some detective work needs to happen. I think that, well, they did spot buys. So I've seen screenshots of spot buys, but I think if you shorted it, you would have been sitting sitting pretty for sure. Uh, Yeah, so effectively they they also traded the, the LP not only on Luna, but then they also moved some over to Kronos and they started trading MM Force. I think which was pretty big around that time as well. MMF, MMF, I've never heard of it. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I've never used the Kronos chain either. Same. So. No, I haven't touched it. Yeah, I got get a, scared of all. Cross I got a crypto.com account because Matt Damon told me to, and I never yeah. do anything with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so obviously the liquidity was all wiped at that point. So if you imagine these guys are trying to relaunch a token, they've got no marketing wallet, they've got no funds, and they've blown four hundred and fifty thousand dollars of liquidity on revenge trading a, a collapsing. Project. Another collapsing Ponzi, funnily enough. Yeah, mm. yeah, exactly. So basically, I called them out. I released this PDF on my personal Twitter account, and we got them in for some spaces and those sorts of things. And you know, the spaces are online, but basically, they they wanted to blame everyone but themselves for what had happened. Like they used the term, and it's interesting psychology. They said we made some mistakes, and as far as I'm concerned, you don't revenge trade your liquidity of your project and call that a mistake. Like just that's, a small that's a malicious get out of jail free card. Oh, we made a couple of mistakes here and there. That's what SBF was doing as well when the whole FTX. He was like, mm. "I'm sorry, I made a mistake," and just kept apologising. Well, it's sort of this thing now where, like, with the Liver King when he got caught on steroids, coming out saying, "Oh, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. I made some mistakes." No, no, no. You got caught, mm. and now you're back tracing and backpedaling and yeah. going. You know, so it's it very interesting. You know, I wonder with the spaces if they get quite volatile at stages. It was Bit heated. It was uh, only me, funnily enough. Um, <laughs> so they were sitting there and they wanted to blame a developer in India because that's an easy way to do it, right? Blame the guy from India who's not there. Turns out the developer from India was there and he was able to verify a couple of things. Um, Fantastic. So he shut them down. That was all, that's good. Yep. But then was they that started, monkey shanty? That is monkey shanty, who's quite well known in the BSC space. Yep. Quite very well known. So he was able to call out a couple of things in that space. There, was, there were lies about expenses and all these different things that just snowballed. And then halfway through the spaces, I just said, look, I got you guys on here to come clean. And they both continued to, to lie and say it was someone else's fault and that sort of stuff. So I lost my temper a little bit. Uh, we got some community members on. The, probably the hardest thing of the whole project was not the fact that I lost like a stack of money, but listening to the stories of guys who clearly couldn't afford to lose money. Mm. That's the worst thing. There was a, there was a guy, and I'm, he'd be happy for me to mention his name, a guy named Dyer who was like a long-term believer in the project and invested a lot of money. You could hear him. He was in tears, like saying, I believed in you guys. I, I thought you guys were a family. You know how communities get, right? Yeah, it's mm. super tough. And it's so horrible to hear those sorts of things happening. Um, that was probably the hardest thing for me. And I think at that point, that was where I made my own decisions to never launch Verse 3 as a as a as a token or an NFT or something like that. And I decided, right, no, nah, I, I don't want to have to be, even if I have the best possible intentions, you can have the best intentions in the world. And if a project goes badly, there's going to be someone out there that thinks you scammed a community. Mm. 
and I didn't want that pressure and that responsibility. So that's why what I'm doing is self-funding. Like I sold my car to fund this as a lot of traditional business owners would do or startup founders. Like they sit there and, and self-raise. So yeah, it's it was a pretty stressful you know, 12 months, but a great learning experience for me. Like to be, to watch rugs happen and then to be a part of a rug and part of not the internal goings on of it, but you know, just outside the inner circle to be where you think you're a member of this team and then realise that you were never a member of this team and it was malicious for many, many months before uh, you even got, became a part of it. It, it sucks because I, I, I think, does this tarnish my reputation? I think, well, maybe it, it will with some people. There will be some people that think you knew about this and I can say with my hand on my heart right now, there's no way I knew that this stuff was happening. Was I ignorant? I think that's probably a better thing. Was I in love with the idea of this thing doing really well? 100% as so many people are, right? But it, it, it has now led me to believe that I have no emotion when it comes to any investment right now. And that's, I think, probably one of the most important things I can say to anyone, anyone who's listening to this is, if you're sitting there and you have flutters or you're sweating or you're stressing about buying or selling or something like that, you just need to take a break and consider that this may not be the best decision because emotion doesn't is emotion isn't one of the things you should be leveraging when you're um when you're trading yeah lost for words it's a hard story because it happens so much in this space and you see now and i really admire you because you've taken this experience and you've now giving back and your core philosophies have changed and you don't want to see people going through these again because it could be easy to token gate and do rugs and scams and all this type of stuff but it just perpetuates that cycle I think a lot of people, uh, especially the newer people listening to our podcast, 90% of this is psychology and you need to sort of remove that emotion. And it's very hard, especially in a bull market when, you know, you're seeing market caps come from nothing to 24 million. I don't know anyone who's gotten as involved as you have. And I think that's really important, guys. Everyone listening, dig deeper. Maybe just don't take what someone has said because when you add the emotion and it's sort of like Aladdin's cave of riches, you know, you see your bag flying and when you're making ridiculous money in a sense overnight, it's very hard to separate those emotions and I feel, you know, for myself as well, being burnt so many times, you learn to detach, like you said, you don't sort of have emotions towards it now. But the case, it does get more interesting because they went to launch more tokens yeah. after the fact because there was a lock on pink sale which pink sale for everyone listening always look twice at pink sale you know i always discount anything locked on done on pink sale um it's usually a scam but tim had then locked some tokens on pink sale and was talking about was it deep doge yeah it was around the the johnny depp amber heard court case so they were trying to leverage that that i think it was based on that report there i think it was only two days after lunar had completely collapsed completely so i think their next strategy was we've lost all our liquidity now we're going to have to go and make some more meme coins to um to top this back up so launch depth doge didn't really do anything i think it folded like within a few days they were talking about launching a new token which was homeless kev so you can just see like the the desperation just kept mounting it went from you know from one person we'll get back into that deployer hack in a moment but it went from one person trying to rug the entire project and pulling at the, at the time it was around a million dollars of liquidity when it was at that 24 25 million dollar market cap so the one person trying to get away with a million dollars to trading the $440,000 liquidity to then launching meme coins like it just got more and more desperate mm. uh, with each step that went on and looking back at it now I just think oh you're an idiot for not seeing this earlier 
But when you're in that moment and you're in that bubble, like it's so easy to, to, to spot a rug in hindsight. Do you guys agree? A hundred percent. When you're invested, no, super hard. Well, mm. I think you're not looking like the on-chain activity as well. Like you might look at the price chart, but the price chart might not reflect liquidity or might not reflect who's selling. You know what I mean? Like you might see, uh, and I'm guessing, you know, on Binance Smart Chain, PooCoin was the place you went to to track charts, right? You don't always check who the seller is, you know? So when you see that 108K sell, you don't instantly know that it's the deployer address, right? Or you don't know behind the scenes that, you know, the top 75 addresses are blacklisted and couldn't sell, you know, because we're not tech native people. Even tech native people can't really look into the code and realize I've been added to a list and I can't sell these tokens. So I did just briefly want to cover how much was Lundex down by the time you just kind of wrote it off as a scam from its all-time high. I think when they paused trading... Back in April ish, it was about five million dollars. So it had it had really come down. But then from that twenty four million high, so it's down about eighty percent at this point, right? Yeah, but then when you look at the entire market between that February twenty twenty two onto April and May, mm. the whole market had taken at least fifty percent off mm. in terms of value. So, you know, it it wasn't that uncommon to see meme coins drop that sort of volatility. But also, you know, with your wallet locked, you're there for the long haul, right? Like this it's that mentality of don't sell at a loss like I, I still the weird thing was when they paused trading because of the size of my bag mm. if i was able to sell you know i still would have been able to cover my initial which was the crazy thing mm. but the problem was that you know it would have been a race for the door if they opened up trading after what had happened oh. with the deployer mm. um the liquidity would have been taken out by the top three wallet holders as soon as they sold so when your tokens you say that you couldn't sell them does that mean you couldn't transfer them to any other wallets or you couldn't do... Yep, so basically you had your money, you were showing up as having a certain amount invested on Block Explorer like Binance Smart Chain, but there was zero way for you to actually realise that money. Yeah, yeah. From what I had heard and from what Mark Monkey had said was that the the maximum sell amount for a one of those top wallets mm. was one token. And of course, none of those guys are really going to try to sell one token when they're holding you know, 20 million which it was in my case. Mm. So they effectively blacklisted those top 75 wallets but allowed the bottom, uh, the, the lower wallets to be able to sell so it didn't didn't appear like to be a uh, honeypot. Do you think in hindsight there could have been any way for you, because I'm just thinking of solutions for you to have sold, do you think you could have uh, potentially added liquidity from one of those top 75 wallets and then that would have been maybe something that would have been allowed? So you converted some of your tokens into liquidity and transferred that liquidity to another wallet and then withdrew that liquidity and sold? Would that have been a possibility? Or do you think the team was that smart and considered like every possible avenue for you to kind of exit like exit your position? So from what I was told, there were no functions allowed on any of those top 75 wallets. So you couldn't do anything with those tokens. Mm. They were locked. I'm not a smart contract developer, but from, from what I've also been told, they were able to remove tokens from people's wallets and, and recall those tokens. So what they would do is if you said, you, if you were a top 75 holder and you mm. said you wanted to sell, you would have to submit a request to them and say, look, I would like to sell $10,000 worth. So then they would say to you, well, okay, you can't sell $10,000 at once, but we'll give you $1,000 worth every day for 10 days. Yeah. So we'll take $1,000 worth of your tokens, mm. send them to a new wallet, which you've nominated, and then you can sell them from that wallet, but you ladder out. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's quite an elaborate honeypot in mm. that way. You're basically limiting, like restricting the amount of tokens that people can sell in the interest of looking after your own chart. So Definitely not a decentralized platform. Well, it's funny because, you know, Binance Smart Chain, which is really interesting, you know, was just 
it's a more centralized chain than anything, right? Because, you know, Binance could switch off the keys at any point in time. Yet you've had so many scams come along back to back, like so many different rug pulls and honeypots and just by the minute, because it is so cheap to deploy, you've actually had so many people, so many new investors in the space get let in from TikTok and from all these other channels, just basically get burnt and, and scammed on a lot of tokens. So it really is phenomenal. But I did want to touch back what happened, what ended up happening with the alleged robbery that happened when the 108K that was taken <laughs> from the deployer. Cause so- the initial story actually sounded like something out of Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. Like I, I imagined it playing out like a, a Guy Ritchie movie. And I almost have this image of you know Vinnie Jones sitting at a desk or the guy who played Rory, I think it was, in, in Lock, Stock. Effectively what had happened is over that time, I'd figured out how to read BSC scan much better. So I thought, now that I've already gone through so many other elements of this, I'm going to go back and take a look at the deployer on February 23rd. And then I started looking at all these different transactions and what had actually happened. And there is a PDF, which I'll send to you guys later on as well, but basically timeline the whole series of events. And what happened at about seven o'clock that night was the deployer wallet tried to sell the $108,000 tokens and was successful in doing that. It actually tried to pull the whole liquidity first and wasn't able to do that. And then after that, it had obviously raised a flag and the team all got together. So what they did was they moved ownership from that wallet to another wallet. Tim and Monkey were in control of that. Then what happened a second time was Tim then went, I'm just going to move it a second time so I've got complete control of this. Tim has said to me for many, many months, he wasn't aware of all this sort of stuff. But full disclosure, Tim actually went through what happened on the day of the deployer with me to identify what had happened. What had actually happened was later on that night, like three hours later, the wallet that hacked the deployer then sent another BNB to the deployer later on to then go back and basically clear it out again. And because the ownership of the contract had been sent to a different wallet, he was unable to do anything. So at that time when he realised, I no longer can do this, sent the one BNB back to one of Hussein's personal wallets instead of back to the hacker wallet. So effectively, that's like leading, for, for people that are unfamiliar with blockchain, that's effectively like going and robbing a bank and then taking all the information and an address of where to find the robber and sending it back to that one. And everyone on the team knew that that was Hussein's wallet. So effectively was like leading a blood trial straight back to his house. That's insane. (laughs) (laughs) This is what I think a lot of people forget. It is a public ledger. Yeah, it's it's there forever. Like that in a thousand, yeah, a hundred years from now, you know, if the Binance Smart Chain is still alive, we'll see if it lives that long. Uh, If if there are still rug pulls happening in the year 21, 23, but um, that's that's all on display. Just a question from my end. So you mentioned that one of the founders or co-founders was Australian. What's your relationship been like since this has all kind of happened? I'm guessing your weekly show on YouTube is cancelled now. Yeah, so we ended that a little while ago, obviously. Look, Tim is a guy, putting all this aside, Tim is the kind of guy that I could become really good mates with. And if he ends up listening to this, he probably, like, we, we've had conversations since this all came out in, out in the open. And he did say to me at the time, he's like, mate, whatever you need, I'm here for it. I'm happy to help open book, all those sorts of things. Obviously, when emotions get in the way and then people start sending, you know, threats of violence to him and his family, those sorts of things, understandably, he then chose to go completely dark and change his number and all those sorts of things. So I haven't spoken to Tim for months, but it's it's a tricky sort of thing because he said that he wasn't aware of the deployer and how it had happened until after the fact. And he was the one that actually went through BSC scan and helped me identify that the person who hacked it was the same person who controlled Huss's wallets. And months, months later, Huss was still operating using those wallets. Now, if you've had a wallet hacked, 
the first thing you do is clear those wallets out and set up fresh wallets. But months later, he was still using the same wallet. So oh. it just identified that, you know, not only are they like careless, but completely ignorant for how the blockchain works. Yeah, it, look, I don't know what they're doing now. Um, I did submit a, a report to cybercrime and this is, you know, this could probably be another talking point. Submitting a report to cybercrime is such a, a ridiculous process where they only allow like a thousand characters in your report and one blockchain transaction link uh, when you're submitting this. So I submitted all this information. I said, look, I've got so much more as well. And this is potentially millions of dollars if you track back, you know, the volume over nine or 10 months. And then they came back to me and said, oh, it's a civil issue, which was pretty frustrating. Mm -hmm. Like this was the cybercrime unit. This is what you guys do. And you're telling me this is a, a, a civil issue. But if it was an SMS scam, they'd be all, scam, they'd be all over it. So it just shows to me, and we've had this discussion in the Oz DeFi community as well, that the authorities still don't know how to properly manage these sorts of cases. And it's easier for them to just say, we're under-resourced, this is a civil matter. So I can now, I can choose to go to the police and escalate this again, go to New South Wales Police and say, look, this is all the information. And perhaps they'll open it. But at the end of the day, I think they're still going to say the same thing and say, look, you played in an un unregulated space and unfortunately your money's gone. Just pass the buck. And that's what it is. Claim if in the lines, just you know, just pass it along to somewhere else, mm. and nothing happens. And these people just keep doing it. And that's why, guys, like we love to talk these stories. We want to give you the advice because we don't want other people falling for this. Because I think now, especially for us, being I've been scammed hundreds of times. It's ridiculous. Proper degen, but I've gotten smarter and I've evolved. And if you do want to play in this space, you have to put the time and the effort. And that's just on the meme side. You know, you got to put the effort into doxing, to looking at contracts, and then sort of like, where does it stop? Are you a contract developer? Are you learning code now? These stories need to be spoken about. I think the word needs to go out that we have, even people here in Australia, just doing these level of scams, you know. It, we were talking about it off air, about just that big dose of reality where I think it was about eight months ago, it was about Web3 community, we're all collabing, we're building together, and then now it's like, oh, you know, there's a few fake characters around. Like any space, but... Yeah. You've got a lot of people who say, we're all going to make it, and Web3 is collaborative, but are actually extracting value quite openly, like in your situation. So for our listeners who aren't as familiar with blockchain and crypto... Who do you think was the mastermind behind all of this? Initially, I think the first hack was Hussein, and I'm 100% convinced of that. And I think after that, they'd circled the wagons and said, all right, now we're in damage control. We all need to work together to get ourselves out of this. And obviously, every single play along the way just worked out badly for them. Mm. And was it an Australian team or you? it's still unknown? So two of them are in the UK. So Duke and Hussein are in the UK, mm -hmm. and Tim is Australian-based. Yep. And there were some other guys from different areas as well, but they were, you know, someone who looked after, you know, running poo coin ads and that sort of stuff. They were never on the inner circle. Mm. You were saying that the contract didn't seem to have Guardian AI and was made up and that you wanted to talk to Monkey Shanty. Did that ever end up eventuating? Did you and Monkey Shanty have a chat about the contracts and everything like that? Yeah, I've spoken to Monkey a few times about this and he said effectively it was just a blacklist operation, a function on the contract where... If someone tried to sell over a certain amount of tokens, it was just like a max sell trigger. And instead of saying, no, you can't do that, and then you had to reduce the amount, it would just blacklist that wallet. Wow. And that was how the function worked. And for everyone listening, blacklisting still goes on. Um, we're getting coins quite early, and a lot of times our wallets get blacklisted because we are that early. And this is a part, if you're playing in this space, to start looking into these sort of functions and contracts and stuff like that. Everything's on chain. It's all there. It's a matter of digesting and learning the information. But yeah, I mean, these stories, it, it does put a lot of people 
off the Web3 space, off the markets completely. Are you still trading? I mean, I know you're really working hard with the business and bringing that up to scratch and getting that launched, but is there still a level of degen there? We're still seeing a few trades here and there or... Has that turned you off completely? Is that coming out the next bull run? I've got my fingers in only one now. Basically, I hold stables now and that's basically how I run my business is whenever I need to pay for expenses for this business, whatever it may be, I'm then cashing out some of my stables and I hold one meme because I know the developer and I've basically thrown my support behind him and that's it. That's it for me now. I think because I'm I'm not sure where the market's going and I don't want to go through the stress of having to look at charts and check my portfolio every day, that sort of stuff. So I've left the bag with that project. It's doing its own thing. Uh, next bull run could go really well. Fantastic. If it doesn't, not a big deal. Mm. And I'll continue building. Yeah, it's super exciting. I wanted to ask you uh, another question off London X and things like that. You touched on before that both you and your son had um, ADHD. And I feel lately at the moment, there's been a lot of education around ADHD. I think it was something that really wasn't understood. And how you're implementing that into your platform. We're talking a bit about that off air. I'd love to just get a bit of uh, advice around all that and how you feel that taking your experiences. And I think being a father and, you know, I'm a father myself and watching my son go through certain things in life that I want to make his path easier because we understand each other. How is that being integrated into your platform? So what will happen when when people join the platform for the first time, it's going to go through a bit of a a fact-finding mission on the person who's going to be using it. So it's going to be asking certain questions about, you know, your concentration and things that you do and how you've learned in the past and how do you respond to certain things. Uh, And the idea will be that based on those answers that come back, the, the platform will perform in certain ways, uh, whether it be the colour and the lighting and those sorts of things or the ambient sounds or the length of each module. It's going to sh- So if people who identify as someone with ADHD, you can't get them to sit down and go through a two-hour module. It's never going to happen. So the, the platform will set reminders and break things up and say, just a little reminder, like go for a walk you got ADHD, you can't sit down for an hour. Like it just, you, you end up being completely ineffective and fidgety and those sorts of things. So the, the platform will just say, look, go and have a break, go and stretch your legs, walk around, whatever it may be, do something like that, go and have a drink, something to eat. So it's just about helping people who have ADHD just become more aware of their learning environment and the best way for the platform to, to help them and identify that. Because at the moment in schools, look, when I was a kid um, and I was in school, you either had good kids or disruptive kids. And there was no such thing as ADHD. Mm. So I guess I'm kind of showing my age here. <laughs> ADHD was never really that much of a thing. It was spoken about, but you know, kids were just naughty and brats, right? Mm. I think now with you know, 25, 30 kids in a class, you, you can't sit there and treat all kids the same way. And they may have teacher's aides and those sorts of things. But from a remote learning point of view, we've never tailored the experience. You, we don't, I still to this day don't find a platform that says, you and I want to do the same course, but we have different learning styles. So, but it's just a one size fits all mm. with that. So the idea with this platform is identifying, okay, you're going to learn a certain way, I'm going to learn a certain way, and it's going to mould itself to help both students complete that course content. Another thing that I really want to do with this is I've completed so many courses because I'm self-taught with Blender and Unreal Engine and those sorts of things and leveraged a lot of content on Udemy. And the reason why I've created this was because I noticed on Udemy that, you know, it's just hours and hours of video content. There's... Mm. Uh, fantastic Unreal Engine um, course by Stephen Ulibarri on Udemy. And it's about 60 hours of video content. 
And that's not watching 60 hours of video because when you're doing this, you're doing it alongside. So you may watch 30 seconds and then go and code something. Pause, rewind it because you missed something, come back. Mm. Yeah. So a 20-minute video when you're on Udemy could potentially be like three or four hours of content. So it's just so overwhelming that so many people don't complete this stuff. Like, Because you imagine, let's call it, you know, it ends up being 600 hours. People don't see that through. So the other thing that I'm doing is sort of like a dopamine hit. All three of us are gamers. Um, I suck at Mario Kart, but yeah, <laughs> John cheated. Yeah, he <laughs> downloaded a program. Yeah, yeah, at Aimbot. We spoke yeah. about this. So being able to give people those little rewards as they go, instead of just at the end of a 60-hour course content saying, here's your PDF, good job, and then you forget so much of that content because you've basically been copying what's going on. What I want to do is break up course content for people and give them constant rewards just like if you're playing a game like Fortnite or Four Guys or something like that, just having your XP go up and getting a new item or getting a perk or getting a reward or that sort of thing. For young students who have much shorter attention spans, because it's getting worse, right? We're like With social media and, and flashy marketing and all those sorts of things, it's very hard to keep people's attention these days. So if the platform can reward often, I think that's going to help drive engagement. And you know, if you complete one module and then go, well, if I complete the next module, I'm going to get an item drop. That's going to get people more motivated to, to go on and continue that. And then once you get that next one, it's like, all right, we'll find just one more module and one more module. The number of times I've sat down and said, I'm going to have one game of Call of Duty and then end up five hours later. The rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I want to do something like that, but in the learning space. Yeah. I, I just think it'd be so powerful for kids to respond to, and not just kids, just people in general, to be able to respond to course content because everyone wants to learn, but no one wants... Not no one, but so many people don't want to go through the process because it's arduous and it's boring and those sorts of things. If we can make it fun and engaging and you know, a little bit addictive, then people will go through this this journey of self-improvement and actually have fun doing it. Yeah, I agree. I just remember spending so much time on games, leveling up a character. World of Warcraft, you know, and someone's level 80 and it's like, oh my God. And I, I think it was, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago where I'm like, hold on a second. Why aren't I leveling up my life? I'm a character in a game. Why, if I'm putting so much time into finding gold and making this potion, why aren't I doing that in real life? For me, I have quite a short attention span, so I like those um, games or gamify where I'm being rewarded for learning and doing these tasks and all these types of things. It helps me. I can't just sit and read a book and you know, I read 10 pages and I start falling asleep, you know, so I listen to podcasts, I do audiobooks because when I drive so much for my in real life job, I'm like, you know what, you know, what is, what's the saying? Two birds, one, one stone. stone. Yes, two birds, one stone. I'm driving to a job to make money and I'm educating myself on the way. Fantastic. No, I'm really excited to see uh, where this goes. I'll definitely be watching um, what you're doing quite close, closely because I think it's super important. Sam, generally before we wrap up, we always love to ask a question about mental health. I'd love to get what you think about it, some practices that you put into your life because, you know, London X and a lot of things that you've gone through, you know. I, I think one of the things, and I actually got it from my, from my fitness, from my, one of my coaches at my gym, is one of the most important things is just being present and understanding what your mindset is like at, a, at any given time. And I get a combination of that from my coaches at my gym saying, you know, when you're training, you've got to be training. And that's why they don't have phones on the floor because, you know, you're distracted. You focus on your training, you focus on the thing that you're doing right now and you're aware of, you know, switching on this muscle or how your headspace is. Same with training, uh, with, with trading as well. I think it's one of those things where you need to be aware of what your mental state is and you know, it's maybe a little bit easier for me to not 
fall down the rabbit hole because my partner is constantly there reminding me she's completed her psychology degree last year and she'll often sit there and say you know you're a bit agitated right now maybe you need to have a break something like that I just think it's the same as playing video games like the mental state in trading it's so easy to sit there and spend 24 hours staring at charts all day or sitting in a discord or those sorts of things I think the most powerful thing you can do is just take a break we we all refer to touch grass and that sort of stuff but I think it's so important to just spend some time away from from the space and understand that you can have those goals in the space and make money and all those sorts of things but at the end of the day if you're a a hermit who has health issues and mental health issues you don't go outside all the money in the world doesn't change things for you and that's why I think well someone tweeted earlier this week they said what are your goals for this year and I responded and you know there was you know get funding for my project and and create the MVP and go to version one and that was my only crypto related goal the others were you know overseas holiday finally get my toe side slide and hammer down on the on snowboarding and go and watch Damian Lillard play a game I just think it's so important to have not only your goals within crypto because we all have those and we all want to be millionaires of course we do but you've got to have goals outside of it and constantly remind yourself I've been in this discord for 12 hours today should I have a break from this and go and do something else I think it's just those constant reminders to tell yourself that you know there are other things out there and this is still going to be here when you get back I love it yeah super key takeaways guys listen to this episode not once not twice three times because you can really learn a lot from it sam thank you so much for jumping on the podcast man and making it out to dgen hq we'll have all the links guys please make sure follow sam go through for yourself and check out all the documents that he's put up on London X. You know, if we can save one person from falling in any traps, then it's a job well done. John, always a pleasure as always, my fellow DJ. Make sure you guys like, follow, subscribe, and we'll see you guys soon.